Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Life is full of variables. The weather, gas prices, war. Things we know are important but can't always predict. But variables come in many shapes and flavors, and that was the theme of the Story Collider's February show. The Story Collider is a storytelling platform and podcast that connects audiences with true personal stories about science. And one of those storytellers was our very own St. Louis on the Air producer, Danny Wisentowski. Danny delivered his tale to a live audience during Story Collider's local show, held right here at St. Louis Public Radio in February. Danny's story stems from reporting he did for the Riverfront Times in 2014 about the then-brand-new trend of escape rooms. It's a story about being in control until the moment you aren't. It is a dark and stormy night in St. Louis. It is a Saturday in April 2014, and I am doing the same thing I've been doing for the past several weekends. I am in a small, nondescript office building in the Central West End. I am locked in a room with strangers, and I'm watching them fail. It's an escape room, and as a reporter, it's the first escape room I've ever heard of coming to St. Louis, and that's news. But this story, this escape room, I immediately know what I want to do. I, I don't want to interview the people who've been in the escape room, and I don't, I don't want to even go in the escape room myself. How boring that would be. How blasé. No, I want to be in that room, not once, not twice. I want to be in there over and over again, five times, ten times. I want to see the entire army of humanity throw themselves at the same puzzles. I want to become a master of this space. I want to know what they're going to do before they do it, and I want to know the mistakes they're going to make before they're even considering it. And I have to tell you, um, this idea, it, it becomes kind of an obsession for me. Because this, this is the fly-on-the-wall fantasy for a reporter. It'll be like that quote from Watchmen. You know, I'm not locked in there with them. They're locked in there with me. And it has a perfect ending. The ending writes itself the perfect escape. And all I got to do is just watch and write notes. And I'll have every scene, every conflict, the ups and downs, the disasters, the victories. It's a dream. And I, I get in those rooms and I, it's, it turns out to be incredibly easy to convince the creator of this escape room to let me just piggyback along and watch as many people as I can stand. And so I start going to the escape room again and again. And I have to tell you, I do get to see the thing that I love to see, which is choices being made. I love to see that on two sides of the room, two completely different groups will suddenly have this lightning strike. And they'll understand the code to one puzzle fits with the cipher to the other. And a word play actually fits with a puzzle that they had discovered earlier. And you can see these incredible strands of friendship, of connection, of, of even tension, the people working together. But 
I have to tell you that for every moment of people working together, it is a drop in the ocean of people falling apart. <laughs> the mask is off in these rooms. There is no cohesion, there is no teamwork. And I wish I could tell you why. Was it smart people only listening to smart people or dumb people finding the only other dumb person there? It's not so simple. It's not so simple. I watch a couple in their 30s insistently tell their nine-year-old son just as the door is about to be locked, stand in the corner. Don't bother us while we're doing this. And of course, they're not listening to him. They're not listening to him when he is the only one in the room who can interpret the clue correctly to a puzzle and they spend 10 minutes on something. And of course they fail. There's the woman who gets the attention of the entire room at one moment and brings them away from the pile of scrabble tiles and locked white, black and white boxes and she points at the ceiling, tracing the lines, connecting the panels together and she's telling them, don't you see it? Don't you see it? There is no puzzle on the ceiling. There is no clue hidden there. It was in the Scrabble tiles. It's always in the Scrabble tiles. And I watched them fail. I watched them fail over and over again. And I, 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 I went back and I look in my, my notebook that I'm writing at this point and underline, I just, I wonder what are they doing here? Why did they come here if they're just going to fall apart? And that's why I'm here once again in this locked room. And the numbers hit zero on yet another night. It's about my seventh team. And I have never been exhausted by a story like this. I am just wishing I was in a city council meeting, <laughs> taking down hours of notes, reading a lawsuit, something where I could feel like I was accomplishing something. But I get out of that room and I, I meet up with uh, the two other folks who are there. There's the co-creator of the escape room. His name is Nir. There's the photographer for the Riverfront Times, Tom Carlson. And I look at Nir and Nir has this expression of disappointment on his face. And I worry that Nir is going to pull the plug. Maybe I should pull the plug. And outside, the skies in St. Louis open up and the rain pours down and the thunder cracks. And Nir, I, and Tom get into the elevator and share, you know, a, mor a morose moment of not getting what we want, of not having the control maybe we thought we knew, that we thought we knew we really had. And I start to think, am I learning something new about myself in this moment? But before that, I learned something else. I learned what the sound of an elevator dying sounds like. <laughs> it's, it's actually not really a sound, it's, it's the absence of a sound. It's a hum that stopped humming. It's a machine that is suddenly <sighs> And so we stand there, three grown men suddenly sweating in an elevator whose doors are not open on a Saturday night during a thunderstorm. And we're trapped. Now, if you're ever in this situation, you should do what, what Nier did, which is he's the master of the escape rooms. You should always try the obvious. Try the front door. Try the door. Just, you, you know, it might not work, but it's worth doing. The buttons don't work. The obvious is not working. The emergency buttons don't work. We have no service in the cell phone. It, it, we have no service in the elevator. When's the next time someone's going to be around here? That's, that's the thought in my head. How many hours? 24? 36? There's nobody in this office building at all. 
I wonder about you know, actually pushing open the doors. But then I, I get a sudden vision of, you know, what if the elevator starts moving again and I'm suddenly starring in an unwanted reboot of Two and a Half Men? <laughs> and so we just stay there in this static, this panic. And sometimes that's all you need to do because something amazing happens. The elevator actually starts moving again. Well, first it moves kind of sideways, which which felt weird. It was like it shifted into some other dimension. But it's a dimension where we were moving, which was good. And so we're moving down. The third floor light turns off. Now it's the second floor light. We're going to hit the ground floor next, and, and we'll be done. And we hit the ground floor, and we're still moving. There's only three floors in this building, but we are definitely uh, in motion. The elevator is still going down for another 20 seconds, and it halts. There's no light on the floor levels. We are off the map <laughs> of the building. And I, again, I'm wondering, 24 hours, 36 hours, where would they even find us now? It's like a computer's reset and it's just gone to its initial state. That We're in a mechanical blue screen of death and it sent us to a grave. It seems like it. And so again, we're sitting there in silence. There's, there's no puzzles here. There's no riddles to solve. I look up at the ceiling and I think about John McClane in the movie Die Hard. Re really any movie with an elevator problem There's a hatch, right? And so I'm looking up there and I'm trying to follow me. Well, there's always, there's always a hatch. How do, they, how do you climb out of there? And after a while, I, I just feel foolish because there's nothing on the ceiling. <laughs> there's no way to get anywhere. We're trapped. And I'm not John McClane. And we're not in the movie Die Hard. And there's no bathroom. And there's no water. And I'm trying not to think about what they'll find when they open those elevator doors. When? In 48 hours. Who knows? And so the tension breaks. We don't even, I don't even remember having a discussion about this, but suddenly our hands are in the crack of the door and we are forcing it open to find out where we are. And that's really the key variable. Where are we? If you can solve for that, you can have a path to go. And so I await the first real actionable piece of evidence and we are faced as the doors open with a very confusing sight. We are faced with a wall of boxes. <laughs> All the way from the ground up to the ceiling, cardboard boxes. Well, that didn't help. It doesn't help us know where we are. We are still lost. So we start taking the boxes down and start to notice they're, they're cleaning fluids. There's a mop in the back I can see somewhere, and it's like Clorox sponsored an Edgar Allan Poe novel a little bit. <laughs> still not really sure why we're there, but... We unload the boxes into the elevator. It's the only place to put them. And we create some men-sized holes in the boxes. And we venture out into the darkness. And there's a small room and a small hallway. Some more cleaning fluids, boxes, mops. Okay, we have our first important variable. Where are we? We're in a closet. And there's another problem. And it's the one that is starting to really concern me because I feel like I'm losing my mind. I'm hearing music, and the music isn't coming from the elevator, it was coming through the boxes. And at first I thought, oh, it's just, you know, the enclosure, it's just the panic, but the music is real, and the music is, it's dance music. It's tango music. 
And we really have no choice but to go forward. And so the three of us approach the door to the closet, the only thing which we know to exist in the universe, (laughs) and we open it. And we venture forth, and we're bathed in a soft red light. And I look down, and a few dozen feet away, I can see couples, about 10 or so of them, dancing, dancing to the music, and they are totally oblivious to us. Just three grown, sweaty guys who've just materialized out of a closet. We are aliens in a strange land, and nobody's like even here to greet us. But we turn, and there's actually a bar right across from us, just 10 feet away. There's a middle-aged woman behind the bar, and she looks at us, and she has this expression like she's embarrassed for us, like she's asking, what are you even doing here? She doesn't say a word. We don't say a word to her. And without any discussion, we shuffle out toward the sound of the storm and the rain, and we leave. And of course, if you turn around and look at the building, there's no mystery. There's an office building, and next to it, there's a dance studio with a, with a walk-down kind of stairs. And maybe at some point, these buildings were connected, and there were some renovations, and things were walled off, and a closet was created, and a floor was erased. We go back to our cars, and I laugh, because how, how could you not? It was so much, but I, I go home that night, and I go to work on my story. And a few days later, well, rather, I should say about a week later, with this, this progress, this process continues, this self-torture, going in the room, watching the failure, waiting for an ending that just won't come. But eventually it does. The final team, number 27, we're talking more than 200 people who have burned out on these exact same puzzles. The very last one, a team made of mostly high school wrestling coaches and their significant, significant others. And I watch, and as the last minutes tick down, no team has ever gotten this far to be confronted with the final two locked boxes covered in strange eldritch symbols that they do not have time to solve and which they do not have the energy to commit themselves to. And I've, I've seen this before already. I've seen a hundred people lose their will and resign themselves to failure, but not this time. This time, as a wrestling coach hands his girlfriend one of the boxes, something incredible happens, something magical in that moment. The two boxes, as if transported by fate, they pass over each other, just so, just as they were designed and built to, and they align, but not on the outside, on the inside, where the magnets that have been so carefully placed there with the intended result that has yet to to come to any fruition, and those magnets kiss and they unlatch, and the box opens, and there's the key, and there's the woman, the boyfriend, the the girlfriend of a high school wrestling coach who has just tried shaking that box like he's hoping it breaks, (laughs) and there's the key, and they have no idea why, but they're free. (laughs) They're free, and the door opens, and there's numbers on the, the clock, and there's been an escape. There's been an ending, finally, You know, control is such an alluring thing. You know, Nier thought he had built the perfect escape room. And I I thought I'd found the perfect story. And somewhere, some engineers thought they had built the perfect elevator. (laughs) But just because you can see all the pieces doesn't mean that you know what they are, what they mean, where they're placed, what the big picture is, what it looks like outside 
control is really like a locked room. And the only one who can get you out is you. Thank you. That was Danny Wisentowski performing his story at the Story Collider show in February. And if you want to hear more true stories about science, here's a bit of good news. The Story Collider will return to St. Louis Public Radio next week at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, April 11th. You can find more info about the event, including tickets, at stlouispublicradio.org slash events. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski. With audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.